I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the History of Russia. This is episode 46... Peter the Great, Part 1 Okay, so after the mammoth-length State of the Nation Stroke Listeners Questions episode, this week we're back in the more familiar territory of our old friend, the Chronological Narrative. But where were we? Well, last time out we ended up in September 1689, where the 17-year-old Tsar Pyotr Alexeyevich Romanov, the younger and more junior of the two incumbent Tsars, and his faction have wrested control of the Russian state away from the Regency regime that had been led by his half-sister Sofia and her right-hand man, Prince Vasily Golitsyn. And as we know, Sofia was now being kept comfortably within the secure confines of the Novodevichy, or New Maidens Convent, on the outskirts of Moscow, although she hasn't been made to take the veil and become a nun. Golitsyn had been exiled to the town of Kargopol, more or less halfway between Moscow and the northern white seaport, Archangelsk, and he would remain in exile for the rest of his life, albeit in a number of different locations. And incidentally, and of no particular relevance to our story, Kargopol, today, is famous throughout northern and western Russia for the numerous sightings of the Russian variety of Bigfoot, or Sasquatch. So there you go. Anyway, Tsar Ivan V, Peter's elder half-brother and joint ruler, and Ivan's wife Praskovia and their daughter Maria have been left pretty much to their own devices, as have Peter's other half-sisters, with the exception of Tsarevna Marfa, who has also been shut away in a convent, mainly because she was just that little bit too loyal to her sister Sophia. Apart from that, even though Russia is officially at war with the Ottoman Empire, there are no major problems or crises, nothing, not even a sniff or a hint of anything troublesome on the horizon. So that's where we are, or were. This week, we'll start off by taking a more detailed look at Peter's early life, which unfortunately does mean covering some of the old ground that we've recently covered, 
And then we'll spend the rest of the episode looking at the events that occurred between 1689 and 1696. Before we start, though, I just want to say another massive thank you to all of the listeners that sent in questions for the last episode. On reflection, I think the episode went well and it provided an opportunity for others to kind of set the agenda. However, I also thought it was far too long. My fault. And I'm not sure how valuable it was to those who hadn't sent in questions. Don't know. So next time, I think I'll keep the State of the Nation and the listeners' questions separate. Let's see how that works. More importantly, though, I'd like to know what you, the listeners, thought. And so if you've got any opinions, comments or ideas, then please get them across either via Twitter, where it's History Russia one or you can use the website, uh, which is historyofrussia.net, and use the get in touch or voicemail options. And then finally, there's good old email, nordicworld at outlook.com. Oh, and if you're just enjoying the show, then don't forget to follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're really enjoying the show, then a nice five-star rating on Apple Podcasts would be gratefully appreciated. And many thanks to all of those who have already done one or the other or both. Okay, enough flannel. If everyone's ready, let's get started with some history of Russia. So Peter, and just so you know, I'll be using Peter and not Pyotr going forward, was born in Moscow on the 9th of June, 1672. Well, according to the Gregorian calendar, or according to the Julian calendar, it was the 30th of May, 1672. But it really doesn't matter because neither were in use at Russia at the time. Russia was still using the old Byzantine calendar. But we'll cover that a little later on in this series. Peter was the first child born to Tsar Alexei and Natalia Narishkin, at the time of his birth, there were two surviving older half-brothers, Fyodor and Ivan, or Ivan even, and six older half-sisters uh, from Alexei's first marriage to Maria Miloslavsky. And none of them, I think it's fair to say, were that impressed with their new stepmother and baby half-brother. Unfortunately for them, though, Tsar Alexei was impressed and indeed happy with his new family, and for the next few years, things were good for the Nowishkins and their supporters. However, in 1676, when Peter was around three and a half, his father Alexei died. Fyodor became Tsar, and the Miloslavsky faction took over. And suddenly Peter, his mother, and his two younger full sisters, Natalia and Fyodora, born in 1673 and 1674 respectively, found themselves out of the spotlight and effectively sidelined from court, both in terms of influence and power and physical location, spending most of their time at Kolomenskoye and Preobrazhenskoye, two of Alexei's mansions just outside of Moscow, and the latter, incidentally, had been the home for the old Tsar's 3,000 falcons. Eventually, though, and as we saw, Fyodor grew tired of the Miroslavskis and the, and the Narishkins came back into favour. Peter, by this stage, was eight years old, and even though he was by all accounts lively, inquisitive and intelligent, 
The ups and downs of his formative years must have left him and his mother Natalia with a heightened sense of anxiety, mistrust and maybe even just a touch of paranoia. What on earth is going to happen next? Then in the late spring stroke early summer of 1682, Fyodor died. And as we know, Sophia, the most able of Peter's half-sisters, engineered a coup with the aid of the Streltsy. And we know what happened next, the cold-blooded murders of Artemon Matveyev, which Peter and Natalia both witnessed, and then Natalia's brother, Ivan Narishkin. And these were events that became seared into Peter's ten-year-old brain. And then soon afterwards, he was faced with the enormity of becoming the Tsar, along with his mentally incapacitated half-brother Ivan, but knowing that it was his sister Sophia, who as regent held all of the cards. Some sources have said that from this point on, Peter started to exhibit a series of uncontrollable ticks and twitches, and maybe even showed the first signs of epilepsy. Other sources, though, point out that these symptoms first occurred much later when he was a young adult. Either way, the events of July 1682 had a dramatic and traumatising effect and must have helped shape the person that Peter was to become. However, every cloud and all of that, and this particular silver lining, was that, ceremonial duties apart, Peter and his mother were able to live out of sight and out of mind, mainly at Preobrazhenskoye. So why was this? Well, quite simply, Sofia and Galitsyn A, had a country to run, and B, whilst the position of regent was never 100% secure, particularly when the regent happened to be a woman, neither of them saw any danger coming from the direction of the humbled Narishkins and their ten-year-old compromise of a junior czar. And then finally, C. Ivan would be married soon, and then a Miroslavskier would follow. And there would be nothing to worry about. So Galitsyn and Sofia were quite happy for Natalia and Peter to kick their heels down in Preobrazhenskoye in relative obscurity, and this arrangement suited both parties because Narishkin mother and son were more than happy to escape the dark, oppressive, political minefield of the Kremlin and enjoy some much-needed stability and, to a degree, some much-needed freedom. And for Peter in particular, life in the countryside allowed him to escape from all of the things he hated, which were Moscow, the court, the boyars, the church, Sofia, of course, and his education. Peter's schooling had started back in Fyodor's reign when he was five, under the tutelage of a certain Nikita Zotov, a clerk from the tax department. And although Peter was bright, and by all accounts, he both respected and liked Zotov, he didn't have the patience for formal, disciplined lessons. At Preobrazhenskoye, his classroom was the fields, rivers and woods that surrounded the estate and the local villages, and his lessons were basically anything that the young Tsar took an interest in. And as he got older, those main interests were anything mechanical, any kind of gadget, and everything associated with warfare. And by the time Peter was 14 in 1686, his main preoccupation was war. Preobrazhenskoye was his headquarters, 
and there he had set up a play guards regiment, which, unfortunately for me, was called the, and here goes, Preobrazhensky, that consisted of the sons of noblemen and boyars, and in time, the second play regiment, the slightly easier to pronounce Semyonovsky regiment, was also established. Gradually, these play regiments sort of morphed into almost a real thing. Think of today's reenactment regiments. I think that's about as close as we can get. The young soldiers had proper uniforms and went on parade. There were artillery pieces, horses, drums, barracks and guns, and any technical assistance was obtained from fascinated foreigners who lived in the nearby German quarter, who were often invited out to the countryside to observe the fun. So again, let's just recheck. Was Peter or anything he was doing, uh, and and you know this small army, was that a cause of any concern for Sophia and Galitzin? Well, again, the answer to both questions is no, not really, or not yet. Sophia must have had an inkling of what was going on, but to her and Galitzin, the Nariskins were were an insignificance. And anyway, Peter's two play regiments only amounted to 600 teenagers, whereas the Regency had, or presumed it had, the backing of around 20,000 Streltsy. Plus, Peter was obediently performing his ceremonial duties, with Sophia herself whispering the right words to say from a screen behind the double throne. He was kind and respectful to his older brother, and showed no outward signs of either unhappiness or rebellion. No, once again there really wasn't anything to worry about. The only downside of Peter's idyllic life out in the country was that his formal education had effectively stopped, had it ever started. And whilst he was undoubtedly clever, astute and shrewd, as an, as an adult he rarely read, his writing and grammar were childlike, he never learned a foreign language and never developed a disciplined, cultured, philosophical mindset. In Preobrazhenskoya, he effectively did what he wanted, when he wanted. At some point in 1687, Peter obtained a sextant, but no one in his immediate circle knew how to use it, and so a call went out to the foreign quarter, and a few days later, Franz Timmerman, a Dutch or German merchant, was escorted up to Preobrazhenskoya to show the Tsar how the nautical device worked. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And this was just a start. Before long, the experienced and worldly wise Timmerman 
would become a cross between a teacher and a friend to the young Tsar, with Peter eager to learn as much as he could about the world that the older man had experienced. And the two of them must have made an odd sight wandering around the local countryside. Odd for two reasons. One, well, Peter was the Tsar, or one of them, and Timmerman was just a foreign commoner from the German quarter. And secondly, as he approached his mid to late teens, Peter stood well over six foot tall. In fact, he would eventually reach either six foot seven or six foot eight, approximately the two metre mark. Whilst the stocky Timmerman was of an average height for the time. One day, so the story goes, the two of them came across an abandoned European-style boat. And before long, the vessel had been completely rebuilt. And Timmerman and a couple of his friends, including a certain Carsten Brand, were able to show the Tsar the rudiments of sailing and navigation. Very quickly, Peter outgrew or got bored with sailing on the local rivers. And he needed a bigger challenge, but unfortunately... There were no large bodies of water anywhere in the vicinity. But that wasn't going to stop the young Tsar. Soon he had found out that there was a sizeable lake, about 80 miles to the north. And a few days later, he'd persuaded his mother not only to let him visit the lake, but soon after to set up a mini shipbuilding yard on its shore, jointly manned by experts from the foreign quarter and local villagers. And once the first boat was ready, that's where Peter spent most of his time, sailing backwards and forwards across the lake, seemingly without a care in the world. And by 1688, Peter had become obsessed with two things, sailing and everything nautical, and anything to do with the European world, and in particular, why the West seemed to be so advanced and so different in comparison to Russia. Natalia, however, was concerned. Peter, who was now 16, was spending far too much time with his European friends, and not only up at the lake. Rumours were circulating that the Tsar was also spending time within the foreign quarter itself, where he was indulging in all manner of lascivious, debauched and despicable Western habits, i.e. drinking, smoking and girls. But whilst all of that was troubling, there were two other problems looming on the horizon that required Natalia, and therefore Peter's attention. The first was that the joint Tsar Ivan V's wife Praskovia was, after five years of marriage, finally pregnant, and if the baby was a son, then the Narishkins would be pushed further down the royal pecking order and may even be in a spot of danger. And the second was that a delegation of boyars had visited Preobrazhen Square just after Galitsyn's second failed Crimean campaign to sound out Natalia's views on how the Regency regime was doing. Or in other words, if perhaps you want some, to do something about it, then we'll follow you. So taking all of that into consideration, Natalia, when she finally got her son's attention, semi-suggested, semi-told Peter that it was time that he stopped faffing around with his ships and his foreign friends, knuckled down, got married, and most importantly, started taking more than just a passing interest in the affairs of the Russian state. Peter surprisingly and wholeheartedly agreed to all three points, but for two different reasons. 
Firstly, he sort of knew that he would have to be married off at some point, and he just told his mother what she wanted to hear. And anyway, neither his mother or a new wife would ever stop him from sailing or visiting the foreign quarter. It was too much fun, and anyway, he was the Tsar. And secondly, Peter was no mug, and he was well aware of the situation regarding his position vis-à-vis his half-brother Ivan's, and the bigger picture regarding the Regency, Sophia and Galitsyn. And he had, on his own, or under his own steam, decided that now was the time to do something about it. So the net result of Natalia's chat with her son was that in 1689, Peter married the conservative, shy and pious Eudoxia Lopuccina, and as we know, he then started to put the squeeze on Sophia and Galitsyn. And incidentally, Eudoxia was the last native-born Russian wife of a Tsar. After Peter, every male Tsar was married to a foreign-born noblewoman. After all that, Praskovia, Ivan's wife, then finally gave birth to a daughter, Maria, which no doubt, no doubt went down well with the Miroslavskis. That's just me being a trifle sarcastic. And then in the August, Peter and his faction made their move. Oh, and in the meantime, Eudoxia became pregnant, and after that, pretty much as he'd intended, Peter basically ignored her and spent much of his free time either at the lake or carousing, oh, what a superb word, carousing at the foreign quarter with his mates. So now with Sophia safely tucked away in a convent, Galitzin exiled to Bigfoot territory, and Ivan V happy in his own world, Peter could finally get his hands on some real power and start to shape Russia's future. Except, he decided to leave all of that to his mother and the boyars while he carried on just as he had before. Well, not quite as he had before. Now he would put all of his energy into having a good time with his friends. So who were those friends? Well, let's pause for a while here and take a look at this bunch of reprobates. The main ringleaders were Patrick Gordon, François or Franz Lefort, and Alexander Menshikov. So Patrick Gordon, or as he was alternatively known, the Cock of the East, was a Scots-born Catholic soldier of fortune who, after spending time in the armed forces of both Sweden and Poland, had ended up in the employ of Tsar Alexei. Eventually promoted to a general, in 1689, he'd seen which way the wind was blowing, deserted Sophia and Galitzin, and pledged himself to Peter's cause. Born in Geneva, François Lefort's career path followed a similar trajectory to that of Gordon, but without the Polish and Swedish bits. And he too eventually ended up as a commander in the Russian army, whilst also spending time up at Preobrazhenskoye helping to arrange Peter's war games. The Russian-born Alexander Menshikov had a much humbler background, being either the son of palace servants or the son of a Moscow pie-seller. Luckily, he ended up under Lefort's wing and therefore was also part of Peter's war games gang. Out of the three, Lefort was the party animal-in-chief and probably Peter's most important friend. And in fact, Peter named the part of the foreign quarter or the Nemetskaya Sloboda, where Lefort lived, 
as the Lefortovskaya Sloboda, which in turn gives us today's Moscow suburb of Lefortovo. Together with these three key allies, Peter arranged the most drunken synod of fools and jesters. And they spent then their time, well, I'll leave the rest to your imagination, but if you're thinking drinking to excess, entourages of dwarves, womanising and parodying the Russian Orthodox Church, you'd be generally in the right track. And it's during this time that Lefort also introduced Peter to Anna Mons, the daughter of a German innkeeper, and eventually Anna became Peter's mistress. When sober, and not with either Anna or his friends, Peter did find time to acknowledge his son Alexei's birth in 1690. Two, two more sons, Alexander and Pavel, would follow in 1691 and 1693, but both unfortunately died in infancy. And by this time, Peter was spending less and less time with Eudoxia. The Tsar also found time to make a trip to Russia's only seaport, Archangelsk, in 1693, and here Peter put in an order with the Dutch for Russia's first ever warship. In 1694, however, Natalia died, and therefore by necessity, Peter, aged now 22, had to become more involved in the day-to-day -day running of the state, although this didn't put a stop to the drunken synod's activities. Far from it, as we'll see in the next episode. Meanwhile, Ivan V and Praskovia had been busy, or as per the rumours that were circulating at court, Praskovia and somebody else had been busy, because in the five years between 1690 and 1694, four more children, all daughters, were born. Feodosia in 1690, Yekaterina in 1691, Anna in 1693, and Preskovia in 1694. Unfortunately, Maria, the eldest, who had been born back in 1689, and Yekaterina both died in infancy, but the younger three all survived into adulthood, and two of them, in the 18th century, would be involved in the royal succession. Anyway, what were these rumours around the parentage of the five daughters? Well, they all centred around the fact or the perception that Ivan was so incapacitated and mentally unstable that there was no way he could have been the father. And based on the reports from several foreign diplomats, it is hard to imagine Ivan and Praskovia, well, it's just hard to imagine. Then on the other hand, there are reports that Praskovia was kind and patient with her husband, but it's also stated that she enjoyed a warm relationship with the head of her household, the boyar Vasily Yushkov. As often, we don't know, we end up none the wiser. And anyway, in February 1696, Ivan V died, leaving Peter as the sole leader and Tsar of Russia. Okay, I think we're going to leave it there for this week. Next time, we'll be taking a look at Peter's strategic aims and intentions, delving into a bit more of the makeup and activities of the All Drunken Synod, covering the Tsar's first military campaign, and seeing what Peter gets up to when he decides to make a trip, and not just any old trip. 
Anyway, thanks for listening in. And so until the next episode, take care, look after yourself, and I'll speak to you all soon.